Welcome back everyone to Campbell's Footballs with me, Grant Campbell. Uh, I'm joined for this episode by a gentleman who uh, is a fan of a range of clubs. He's uh, a fan of the Dandy Dons, which is absolutely fantastic. Uh, but also, importantly, a, a massive Scotland fan. Uh, part of the charity known as the Tarn Army Sunshine Appeal. And much more, he's also a writer too. It is Clark Gillis. Clark, a warm welcome to the show. Thanks for having me on. How's things coping with your end with uh, the pandemic and a, and a range of other things going on at the moment? Uh, just confined to North Ayrshire just now, really nothing we can do. Just weekends coming, just out walks and check the football scores and that's about it really. Yeah, I mean it's... it's back, back where the kids are out of school now and back yeah. to work so... Yeah, I know it's... it's it's extremely frustrating for us all and you know the fact that there's uh, no fans in stadia at the moment just seeing some of the games is, it's just not the same as you know watching it on telly is it no not even not even on the radio it's any fun at all now just <laughs> no fun at all yeah absolutely hopefully soon yeah no absolutely how, how have you been keeping busy during this uh, period apart from that well, I'm quite lucky that I've had a chance to work, so been able to work. But just in case the weekends, just find stuff to do with the kids, like taking walks on the beach, taking to a park, just find games, do a lot of reading just now. Yeah, I mean, it's it's where the kids are out of school now and back to yeah. work. So yeah, I know it's it's. it's, it's it's extremely frustrating for us all and you know the fact that there's uh, no fans in stadia at the moment just seeing some of the games is, it's just not the same as you know watching it on telly is it no not even not even on the radio it's any fun at all now just no fun at all <laughs> yeah absolutely hopefully soon yeah no absolutely how have you been keeping busy during this uh, period apart from that well i'm quite lucky that i've had a chance to work so been able to work but just in case the weekend's just find stuff to do with the kids like taking walks on the beach taking to a park just find games doing a lot of reading just now just stuff like that just to pass the time really yeah no it, it's it's very difficult I think for trying to keep motivated and things like that right. and you know it's just it's just a deeply frustrating time obviously one of the great things that's uh, been happening of course uh, during the pandemic is Scotland getting to uh, European finals and you know I'm sure you will be absolutely delighted about that well yeah absolutely thrilled I mean it's 20 well we're in 22 it's now 23 years but eventually got there and been a long road and Many twists and turns and many false dawns, but finally there at long last. Yeah, how did you cope during the the Serbia match? I think everybody found it a, a real struggle. Uh, thought we played the game very well and looked good and just typical Scotland fashion. Just when you think you've got it, they grab a goal in the death, and it's thinking, "Oh, it's going to be one of those." And watching the extra time through my through my fingers because it was just ter- terrible. Feeling getting back to that, and then the penalties, which was just I hope Scotland never have to go to penalties ever again because I just can't handle it. <laughs> I don't know what they all, all took their penalties, and then when Marshall saved that penalty at the end, got the trouble for waking the kids up. But I think a lot of fathers and wives around Scotland got into trouble for that that night. Yeah, I, I was sent packing for the penalties that were tables. I d- wasn't allowed to watch them live. My family had it on, and I was sent to another room in the house because everybody thinks I'm a bit of a jinx. So uh, <laughs> that was that was uh, quite interesting from my point of view. Yeah. But for Scotland to get to a European finals, and hopefully um, they'll get the games at Hamden, obviously a pandemic, yeah. uh, you know, pending. You know, how do you rate Scotland's chances, Clark? I think the home advantage. Is a big plus. I think while I prefer, I'm a bit of an old traditionalist that I would prefer if the tournament was in the one country like Germany mm. or Italy or even England, but we wait 22 years and we finally qualify for something that's in our own stadium. So it's a bit of an odd one, but 
if there's fans allowed in the stadium, if it's what it sounds like, it's going to be, more, it's going to be only home fans only. I think that mm. should be a good initiative for us that we'll have hopefully have that back and let Wembley handle itself and got quite a good record against the Czechs and got a very good record against the Croatians. So you, you never know, get something like those two games, you know, it's one for the next round, but and let just let Wembley deal itself. Yeah, no, it's certainly going to be interesting to see what happens uh, with Scotland. But we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit further on uh, throughout the show. Uh, Clark, as I said, it, it's great to have you on. I mentioned uh, your uh, intro at the start, your uh, range of football uh, loves, obviously, Aberdeen as well as Scotland and a range of other things. We'll tap into that throughout the show. My first question I always like to ask my guests is, what made you want to go into the world of football in the first place? How did your love of football come about? Just come from a football daft family, basically. Just when I was a kid, wasn't madly into it. that. Kind of came later, but just as a kid, it was there and I enjoyed watching games. And growing up in the eighties, I had this affection for a team that played in red. I just didn't know they were based on the other side of the country. But just every time I turned on the TV, they seemed to win. And so I just thought, oh, be a bit of a glory hunter and follow this mob. <laughs> and that it turned into Aberdeen, and then it just seemed to be a case of that was about 87, 88-ish. Vaguely remember the Fergie years, but it's mostly his last year, but mostly Alex Smith years are my earliest memories. Yeah, I mean... I mean, I was born in the, the early 90s and, you know, I think that the Alex Smith era was uh, an era that I think a lot of Aberdeen fans look back on and think I, that maybe he should have had more time and maybe should have had a bit more respect than maybe he got at that period in time. And, you know, obviously coming off the back of what Sir Alex had done, you know, tremendous uh, achievement, yeah. of course. You know, it was always going to be a tough act to fall. Yeah. also think it hurt me a wee bit that Jockey Scott left. I think when the two of them... Played to, were the team together. I think it was good cop, bad cop, but they they gelled together and it just going. It just proved a wee bit when they went elsewhere that they just never had the same effect anywhere else. And yet that time Aberdeen when they were together, they just seemed to click and gel perfectly yeah. for us. Yeah, no, absolutely. In terms of following footballers, not just Aberdeen, kind of growing up, who were your inspirations? Or did you have any? Uh, actually, the first one I vaguely I'll remember is Maradona. I remember. 1990 World Cup. I don't have many, don't have much in the way of memories of the 86 World Cups. So I missed the whole buzz around that, but I just remember everybody was Maradona, Gascoigne. He was another one I just remember as a kid because if you were growing up in that period, he was never off TV and stuff like that. Just a joy mm-hmm. to watch. Yeah. And really, really I, was, I never really got much into the European football. That's it, just really condensed the Scottish football for me at the time. And yeah. I'd, my favourite players were McLeish, Miller, Leighton especially. That was a hero of mine. And then going to the 90s, just always supported Brian Irvin. He was probably Miller, Miller McLeish, but I would say not to me, it's Brian Irvin. He was always the top man. Yeah, I've had Brian on my own show and he's just such a great guy, isn't he? He just talks very well and he, he doesn't kind of uh, get big-headed about things. He just, no. just says, I just did my best and... You know, at the time, hopefully it was good enough. And I, I really admired yeah. that with Brian. Yeah, one of the fans who lived the dream, basically. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, you know, being a, a Don's Trust member as well, you know, you've seen Aberdeen through periods of good times and periods of not so good times. What's your memory is in, in summary of following the club? Uh, it's a roller coaster, isn't it? It's a roller coaster. That's a perfect way to describe it. I mean, growing up, First couple of years was always a case of playing second fiddle to Rangers, doing well in maybe the League Cup, Scottish Cup, get the odd final and basically not doing it at the last minute. You've then got Smith moving on after a poor last season. You've got basically the prodigal son coming in, but Willie Miller, and you're thinking, right, this is it, back to these fair good days. This, this is going to he just seemed to be the case of cup finals and finishing second to Rangers, but just couldn't get us over that final hurdle. Then he had his bad season. Then we had the Aitken years and bad first season. But then he seemed he then he then took a team that fought off relegation, won the League Cup just seven months later. So there was a good team there. They just didn't click that season. Then he got it to click, and I think we had a good season two under him. And then just back to them. Then it was Miller, and less said about that, the better. <laughs> and then you got the Ebby Scovedale years, which I think a lot of people look badly on, but. It's a kind of period I look back over like a wry smile on my face thinking, no, nah, yeah. they, weren't, 
they were bad, but it was good days out of the football. It was never boring. And while we did fight off relegation a few times, some of the best times I had, some of the best away games I've had were under Scovedale. I mean, going to McDermott Park and winning 3 0, Avril Stavro, and players like McNaughton and Rousen and all that coming on and break into the team. So that was good. And then you've got the Jimmy Calderwood years, which it's kind of odd period because I kind of fell out of love of football at the time, especially Aberdeen. I just didn't really, couldn't, during the Scovdow years, I just couldn't, I, you couldn't keep me away. Then under Calderwood, it was just a case I just kind of lost a bit of interest a wee bit, but comes and goes. And uh, but after that, I got married and got a family. So it was not a case against every game as I used to be. And, yes. And now we've had a few good years under McInnes and now yep. he's away. We're just away to see what comes after this. It's going to be very interesting to see what happens after Derek McInnes. And by the time the show comes out, I would like to hope that Aberdeen will have a new manager. So that will be absolutely fascinating to see what happens. But you touched on the Scovedal areas. And I and I, and I I sort of had a smile on my face when you said that because you mentioned Arnold Stavram. And I still maintain this and I still say this to people. He's the, the first name I had on the back of any Aberdeen strip growing up. And one of the great things I loved about Stavram, he either scored or he got caught offside. There was nothing in between. Exactly. I was, one of those things where I wish you always find yourself wish we got him two or three years earlier or we could have kept him on board for another three or four years and I think he would have broken all sorts of records if we'd kept him yeah. around but it wasn't to be yeah but and another another player that really um, took my attention as well was, was Zorali um, the late Hisham Zorali I mean yeah. An unbelievable player and you know it didn't quite happen for him at times and then obviously he sadly died far yeah, too exactly. Oh, a great, 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 great talent, but always maintained. I just thought he wasn't what we needed for that team. That he wasn't the type of player you need in a relegation dogfight team. If yeah. always felt if we'd stayed around and maybe played under Calderwood, I think he would have shown in that team. But I think just this, the Scovedale team wasn't for him. Yeah, great talent. And, and as well as the Scovedale days, you know, we struggled in the league, but to reach two cup finals that season, you know, the League Cup against Celtic and then, of course, that Scottish Cup final against Rangers in 2000. I remember well, both those finals so uh, well. It, we didn't win either, though, but it was just great to be there at the time. Cause exactly. Was that, was the main point. that was the main point. I mean, League Cup final, I just felt we froze in the day and didn't do anything. And the Scottish Cup finals was going to be the greatest what if. I mean, what if... Lane had not got injured in the first minute. We didn't play with Robbie Winners and goals. What would happen that day? Just one of those things. Yeah, absolutely. And then you move away from that. And you, you mentioned about the Calderwood eras. And, you know, that was a time where I thought Aberdeen, you just didn't know what you were going to get. There was a period where the first season, uh, we were okay. Season. And there was other periods where we just didn't cut it, especially in the Cups. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that was my big... I mean, the big hope is always you do well in the league, but that. You always won a cup, maybe once every couple of years. You get to a final at least, and it just seemed to be with him. He put, he prioritised the league, and when it got to the cups, it just seemed to freeze at the the worst possible time. I mean, you've got some horrible cup game games under him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there's some really interesting players that were around that time, weren't there? I mean, people like Barry Nicholson, I thought were really good in that time. Scott Severin, I thought was very underrated. You know, yep. and of course. They got to the UEFA Cup under Calderwood in that period, exactly. you know. And I don't know if you were there for the nights against Copenhagen and Bayern Munich and the other teams, but what a special yeah. time. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it was great just to see us doing well and against good quality teams as well. I mean, after so many years of going to Riga and going to these places and struggling against Barrytown, you get into the group stages and you think, oh, we're here to make up the numbers and Put a good show against Locomotive Moscow. I mean, no mugs. They're a big side from, with talent and wealth beyond what we've got. Uh, I think it was a limp. Was it Panathinaikos? That was Nikos, yeah. Panathinaikos, yeah. That was a poor. That was a poor show. And, and then you've got the game, which I don't think anybody saw coming against Copenhagen. Everybody thought, oh, little damage limitation. And then we just yeah. go. Out, I think it's one of the all-time top performances in a European night at Todry. Yeah, I think it's one of the all-time top European performances by any club in Scotland. I still maintain that. I think it's right there. You know, obviously Celtic and Rangers have had big nights, of course, but for a club outside of that to have a a, a night like they did in Aberdeen 4-0, and that night, that second half especially, everything Aberdeen touched that evening went in. The only regret I had was Jamie Smith not getting the hat-trick. I mean, he was clean through and he put it in the side net and 
I thought he was gonna gonna get a hat trick and it, it didn't quite happen. Right. You know, can't uh, complain about a four 0 win, can you? <laughs> exactly. In Europe, no chance would regret that. Were you at the Bayern Munich? Any of the two Bayern Munich games? I mean, that no, was Bayern night. Munich. Uh, I didn't expect to get into the next round, so I booked a wee, but a wee. I think it was Valentine's weekend or something. That <laughs> I, I, I remember our house was getting an extension done at the time, so we had workers in the house and we were watching the game through in the living room. And I remember when Josh Walker scored the opening goal, everybody ran through to see the replay. <laughs> it was so funny. I, was, uh, I went to Warsaw for a couple of days that week and we watched in a bar in Warsaw. Just madness. Seen Aberdeen in, in Europe, seen Aberdeen TV and Bayern Munich and we're actually... It's, you're thinking to yourself, is this going to be 83 happening all over again? Yeah, no, it's just absolutely fantastic. And, you know, I haven't even talked about the Nipro game as well to get there as well. Oh, yeah. You know, that, that was a special night. And we'll talk about, you know, your your love of Dinamo Kiev as well, which I think is very interesting. But, you know, you, you, you talk a lot about um, you know, that Aberdeen team. Jamie Langfield, you know, had his critics, but he had some yeah. big moments in a Dodger, and that Nipro night was one of them. That was, I mean... Uh, I'll just explain that my wife's Ukrainian, so I've been visiting Ukraine since 2003. And the Dnipro, while they were not the level Shakhtar and Dynamo, they were effectively the third force of Ukrainian football at the time. And yeah. had a big oligarch owner that invested in the teams. And while they hadn't moved into a new stadium then, they, they were on the verge of moving to a big new stadium. Mm-hmm. And have since they've actually went bust since and had to restart from scratch. But yes. I was just saying to everybody, I don't think we'll get anything this game. And I thought we got really lucky in the first round at Pataudry, and I just thought we're not going to Ukraine and get a result there. And again, it was just a magical night again. Just yeah. going through in the away goals, which is not which is something very few clubs ever do in Scotland. Yeah, and, and Aberdeen don't make things easy for themselves. And the great thing about that period is you know, I certainly, I don't know if you did, but I certainly savoured that period because, you know, yeah. a club getting to Europe in Scotland, Scottish football is, is something, apart from Sally Rangers, something that very rarely happens on a consistent yeah. basis. But, you know, obviously we had the, the very lean years under uh, Mark McGee, of course, and then, uh, mm-hmm. then Drake Brown sort of steadied the ship. But Derry McInnes came in and, you know, I felt professionalised Aberdeen and really made yeah. them a force again. And the League Cup success in 2014, a really standout moment. Yeah, I agree. I think that's what the club really needed was just that cup when they had been put. They had not been. They had not got close enough for so many years, and I think that was really needed because if that didn't happen, then I don't know what was going to happen. It was going to be, but it just seemed to be we got that success pretty early under McInnes, and it just seemed to be that got the ball rolling for a lot of things with him. And in terms of the players in and around the squad that McInnes had at Aberdeen, who did you really enjoy um, in a Don shirt? I mean, I really like players like Adam Rooney. The, the dynamic between Johnny Hayes and Niall McGinn was second to none. It, yeah. it was a great time to be a Don's fan. It was a, I thought it was a really good time. I mean, effectively took Craig Brown's team. He did all the signings and it just seemed to be he tinkered by adding the odd player here and there. I mean, only only thing about McInnes is he would sign like 100 players and it would move ones on fast that didn't work. But when he did find a player, that would make all the difference. And yeah. as you said, Adam Rooney was phenomenal those first couple of years. And yet for some reason he just he fell out with him very quickly and he was he just seemed to always be out to replace him yeah. very often. Just and it was he had a good few years left in him. We just you just couldn't understand why. Yeah. And he just never never really got that replacement that he was looking for until until Cosgrove came along. Yeah, no, absolutely. In terms, you mentioned Craig Brown there, which is very interesting. Does Craig Brown not get enough credit in the story of Derek McInnes and Aberdeen because he blamed the foundations? I think he's. I think he's easily forgotten. about. I think if you say to a lot of people, it's it's McGee, it was so bad, and then it was McInnes. I think a lot of people kind of forget Brown in the middle. Uh, if you, which I think he deserves his plaudits because we were so bad under McGee that. Mm. Craig Brown did, came in and did what he does. He's done well wherever he goes, where he's steadied the ship. He's signed some good players. He's maybe not got the results, but he's got the players playing well mm-hmm. and just grounding out results. And then the next guys came in and he's had the easiest job in the world. Yeah. And, and in terms of Aberdeen, obviously Derek, as we recorded this, has, has now left the club and the Dons are searching for a new manager on the 10th of March. During his time, Clark, what's your memories you'll take away of McInnes? 
easily the best manager we've had since Alex Smith. I think that's for sure. Maybe on a par, maybe in the terms of history of Don's managers, maybe on a par with Smith to a degree. Uh, done very well. Could we have done better with Rangers out the picture? It's debatable, but he's got us a cup. He gave us some good European nights, which I think was one of the main things. I mean, the first couple of runs in Europe, I mean, we beat some big teams, and that's something we've missed out for a long time. I mean, European-wise, we've not done well in Europe since the Ferguson days. Mm-hmm, yeah. He's came in, and I think he's made Europe a priority and done well there. Yeah. Is there a frustration that maybe there wasn't another Scottish Cup or a League Cup to add to the one in 2014 and maybe a playoff round in Europe? Yeah. Uh, he got the League Cup and I think the Scottish Cup semi-final defeat to St. John's, I think that was a hard one to swallow because I think if we had beat St. John's then we'd have went to the final. I think that would have been the double that year. Mm. But just was to be and it's just seen with Europe we, we seem to get so far and we got beatable team. We didn't get Hard teams, what we've got, what we you would consider a beatable team. That if you got past them, then you're into the next round, and that's where you're coming up against your Liverpools, your AC Milan's, you know, the teams you want. See, so coming to Petodri and doing and playing well. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and you're part of the Don's Trust, uh, which is a, a really interesting group. And uh, they, they they own uh, Wimbledon as well, uh, which is which is it's, very interesting. And and AFC Wimbledon's a really interesting club. Um, tell me a little bit about how you got involved with them. Uh, basically, when I was like, I've got cousins in London, and when we used to go down the eighties. We used to always go down. They're all Arsenal fans, and one year we went down and we just thought Saturday, oh, we'll go to a game of football. Who's checked the fixtures? I think it was like my night against Arsenal. We just thought oh, we'll never get tickets for that. So we're phoning around trying to get tickets. Couldn't get any at all for that because I was going to go because of Fergie. Then we kind of just looked around the fixtures, see what else was on in London. And we saw. Uh, Millwall against Birmingham City, I don't have that. Then there's Leighton Orient against Charlton. That's interesting, but it's the other side of London, not good. And then we just saw one fixture. Oh, Wimbledon against uh, Ipswich Town. No, sorry, uh, Coventry. It was Coventry City. Uh, oh, that's interesting. Not, not the most fanciful teams, but Wimbledon just won the cup. And it was one of those date games where you think, oh, that takes our fancy. We'll go ahead and along and see that. And, it's the English well, it was Division 1 at the time Premier League I mean you've got Old Trafford you've got uh, Chelsea you've got all these big stadiums then you go to this little like non-league ground almost I mean what would you compare it to in Scotland Somerset Park or like Capolo it's that type of style ground yeah just a hodgepodge of different stands and you've got terraces and you've got the Barbed wire all around the pitch because this is still the eighties, so the fan the fans were uh, still in the bad books. <laughs> Dire nil nil game, but just something about the whole atmosphere made me enjoy it. That I loved loved it so much, so I kind of stuck with them in the nineties, checking out the results. And then you got the when the club would move to Milton Keynes, and they said about starting AFC Wimbledon from scratch with trials and uh, Wimbledon Common. There was I was about. 19 at the time, eager as mustard. I thought, I fancy getting the football boots on, going down to Wimbledon, trying out that, but I didn't go. It was just one of those heat the moment things. Of when you, <laughs> what you thought, oh, it sounds good, but then, nah, no point. And then just followed the club straight from, on from there and just thought, I'll join the John, Don's Trust and that may, where you get a share of the club. So you're keeping the club fanned on, you get say and everything. Uh, with the move to the new stadium, it was literally a case of you were getting emails every week saying how would you like, what would you like to see in the stadium? How would you like the seat colours to be? What would you like the stadium to be used for? So it felt like proper like fan run in a club that just build and build and build and up up, up, up through the leagues and you're just getting this saying how the club's getting run and it's kind of the thing I like. I'm just a bit of an old-fashioned football romantic. Yeah. I mean, you don't get, you don't get that anymore. I mean, in Scotland, you probably compare it to the old man who goes to the Highland League or junior football and just literally shows up on a Saturday, not a member of the club, but he'll help out. It's that kind of feel about it. Yeah, I mean, it's fantastic, the story of Wimbledon. And, you know, I remember the, the, the good old days of, you know, the being in the Premier League and, you know, players like Robbie Earl and Ifani Kuku yeah. and Neil Sullivan, of course. I mean, that Wimbledon team, and obviously the history of, you know, that very famous line by John Watson when they beat Liverpool, the, the crazy gang of beating the yep. Culture Club in that FA Cup game. You know, well, the history of that is is something that will never die, I think, with Wimbledon. No, I think it's the fairy tale that 
I don't think any club's going to come close to me. You've got clubs like uh, Fleetwood Town are now in the leagues, but they've had money. I mean, they spent before they even got into the league, they spent fifteen million pounds in one stand in their stadium. Uh, you've got Forest Green, but again, they've got money. You've got Salford coming up the leagues, and again, it's a case of they've got massive backers. So it's, yep. Wimbledon is just like that fairy tale where non yep. an amateur, a club from amateur league into the Southern Conference League, then got into the football league and just seemed to rise up like a, a rocket through the league, and then win the FA Cup. Within eight years of being promoted, elected to the league, yeah, and and then the whole dynamic with Milton Keynes Dons is a really interesting subject. Yeah. And, you know, I don't want to get into the politics yeah. of that, but it's 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 fascinating. And I remember a couple of years ago, I think it was in the FA Cup, MK Dons and AFC Wimbledon played against each other, and of course, well, there's no the, rival. <laughs> there's no rivals no. lost there. No, I mean it just seems to be as soon as we got into the football league, we just can't get rid of them. It seems to be drawn <laughs> top of the uh, League Cup, FA Cup the English version of the Challenge Cup, getting them in the same league. I mean, it was actually a period where we were one league ahead of them and they got relegated and we stayed up. So there was a few happy people when that that day was confirmed. (laughs) Yeah, it certainly was. You know, I mean, Wimbledon are a club that I like to kind of keep an eye on just in in the football league because, you know, you just want to kind of see them progressing and you know yeah. I, I think with all these sort of kind of historical clubs you want to see them do all. I mean I was talking to a friend the other day and you know I mean I'm nearly 30 now and you know growing up I remember the likes of Coventry City Bradford City you know Portsmouth you know people like uh, Nottingham Forest being in the top flight of English football and when you don't see them anywhere near the top flight of the Premier League now yeah. it's such a sad state I mean, yeah, I had it for a few years. They were Bournemouth that you felt, oh, they've got that kind of old spirit. But if you take that, if you don't have a team like that in that league. It's just too much of a super league, and it's boring, and it's there's no like club got a charm about it. You, you yep. want these old style team charms that teams that are just expected to be dog dog fights, and then they they upset a lot of people by going to Old Trafford and getting a victory here, a victory there. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Clark, you mentioned earlier on in the show about your relationship with your Ukrainian wife and, you know, in your, in your profile here on Twitter, you're a Dinamo Kiev fan. And, you know, it's, it's very interesting to chat to somebody who follows Ukrainian football, but Dinamo Kiev are a really interesting club. Can you tell me how that came about? Um, when I was growing up, I had this weird fixation about European football and everybody else was getting, like, Shoot Magazine or all those kind of mag- football magazines. I, for some reason, I was always I always got addicted to World of Soccer magazine, you know, more highbrow one that talks about African football, European football, and just for some reason, I took an interest in the Eastern European style uh, teams and just seen all these names. And the first time I probably remember them was, I think it was about 1991, Dino Kiev played Rangers in a friendly at Ibrox. Yeah. My dad, my dad, the fan, he went to that game and brought the programme back and I was just, curious about this team Dino Kiev and just their D style logo was just something that hypnotica felt about it and just reading the reading through the programme and you've got all these obscure unpronounceable names just <laughs> something about it I quite liked about it then you've got the 90s and you've got Rebrov and Shevchenko and this was back in the days where you could get football on ITV so you were getting yes. nights all the time and you're getting Barcelona against Dino Kiev and Champions League and you're going to see them go to Old Trafford and playing as My United. It just kind of grew from that and then you, as you get to about 2000, you start getting the internet age and you start to learn a bit more of the history of the club and all that. Yeah, and it's it's really interesting to see Dinamo Kiev's kind of time in the Ukrainian league because they're they're one of the powerhouses of Ukrainian football. You mentioned obviously the, the battles with Shakhtar and Donetsk and I always enjoy seeing some of these clubs in the Champions League battle. I, and, you know, they're one of these teams, Dinamo Kiev, that they always seem to get there. And it's really fascinating to see how they get on. You don't expect yeah. them to pull up any trees, but you expect them to give a good account and always give teams a battle, especially on their own on their own pitch. Well, that's the thing. I mean, it used to be a case of when they played at home, they were play, it was the Ukraine national team that was playing, so they, would, they wouldn't play in their small like stadium, which is on the edge of the city centre. It's a small 15,000-seater stadium. They would play in the big 80,000 Olympic stadium, and it would be packed. I mean, I've got friends in Kiev, they tell me about the days of the European nights and against Bayern Munich and all these teams, and 
a stadium that holds maybe 80,000 and there's at least 120,000 Ukrainians in it just willing the team on to, to win those games. Yeah. It's quite amazing, some stories. and Basically, the whole thing went up a notch when I was at a Scotland-Lithuania game around about 2003 and I got a chance this girl at the table next when we went to this restaurant just got a chance to say, what, whereabouts Lithuania are you from? She says, oh, I'm not from Lithuania. I'm from actually a country you've never heard of, probably. And I was like, oh, where? She said, Ukraine. I was like, oh, right. Uh, then I asked to say, oh, I know about Dino Kiev and all that. And we just got a chance. She was there with Christian Aid and just, she had just done a bit of an exchange thing. And we got a chance. She said, uh, here's my email address. Just email me. And about a year later, I said, I'm going to go to Key- Ukraine. And I texted this girl and said, I'm coming to Ukraine for a couple of days. I fancy meeting up. Maybe I'll catch a game of football and I'll see you at some point. And one thing led to another, and about three years later, we were married. And she's now moved to Scotland. So, absolutely fantastic story. Yeah, absolutely yep. fantastic story there, Clark. Really interested to hear that. And the great thing about football is that you just make so many connections, and then time moves by, and you think, if I hadn't done that, I wouldn't have been yeah. able to have that. And it, it's fantastic, isn't it? And just hearing exactly. that story there. It was absolutely Aye. fantastic to hear that. I think that's really, really great. In terms yeah. of the Ukrainian league, I mean, Dinamo Kiev, obviously, along with Shakhtar, very representative in Europe. As we're recording this, Dinamo Kiev are still in the Europa League. They'll be drawn against yeah. Villarreal. I mean, what do you make of their chances in Europe? I mean, Villarreal, an interesting team, obviously, doing well in the Spanish league under Unai Emery. Uh, yeah, it seems to be Europe. Have, I mean, they had a couple of good runs in Europe a few years back. I think we got to the quarters and semis of the Europa League yeah, fairly recently and it seems to be they, they miss the big, big teams but they'll come maybe against the likes of a Benfica, they'll maybe come against a Club Bruges mm-hmm. but they seem to avo- always seem to avoid the likes of Barcelona Juventus, PSG all these well, <laughs> and they seem, to always, they seem to always do quite well but then they just seem to let themselves down when it comes to things but it just seems to be there's been a bit of an internal war between the fans and the club at the last few years because they don't like when the club appoint a new manager and it's not the player the fans' choice. They get they buy a player who they think they'll get they buy a player for maybe two million with the name to sell them for twenty million and then agree for, a, a few of the twenty millions agreed and the chairman will change his mind and say no I want twenty five million. He'll always try and get that extra couple of million on top of what the, the agreed deal was. Yes. It just seems to be the, chair, the, the chairman's not interested in the club, he's just interested in the money that comes with owning the club. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's been an interesting season for Dinamo Kiev because obviously they were in the Champions League and they were in a really interesting group. Juventus and Barcelona and yeah. Ferenc Faros, of course. Scottish football fans will remember Ferenc Faros mm-hmm. obviously dumping Celtic out. I mean, yep. what did you make of that group? Because obviously you have the dynamic there with Juventus, with Ronaldo and, and Messi also with Barcelona. And then Kiev, of course, in there, you know, they got a win in the group. A very, very tough group, I've got to say. Yeah, but yeah. to finish third is probably the best you could have hoped I for. I think there. a group like that, it's a case of finishing thirds. When you're not the top two, the finishing thirds is as good as you'll get. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was a very interesting group. And I'm really looking forward to see how they get on in the Europa League because I do think that that Villarreal game will I think be it's a winnable. Well, I think it's a winnable time. They seem to be doing well in the league and the Cups and it seems to be they're getting to Europe now and later stages so whatever whatever comes from this point obviously you're a Scotland national team fan but on the international stage do you also keep an eye on Ukraine uh, yeah just because I've got family friends there, so I just always keep an eye on the results of them uh, and because they've qualified for more World Cups European Championships than we have of late it's a case of when they get there it's mm-hmm. important them when they get there because yeah. a few years ago I think didn't Kiev host uh, the Euros um, yeah, 2012. I mean, I had it all planned out. If Scotland qualified, we were going to go out for a month to stay with the in-laws. Mm-hmm. But just didn't want to go at all in the end and just thought, no, it's not. I'd, oh, that's a shame. Game Scotland down there, I just don't want to go. I'm just not interested. <laughs> I lose interest. Yeah, you that know? was interesting tournament because Spain were ruthless at that tournament, weren't yeah. they? And yeah. you know, they dismantled Italy in that final. They were really, really good. And of course, Italy, of course, had that very infamous shootout with England and the, uh, the Andrea Pirlo Penenka penalty. Exactly, aye. 
Yeah, that was a fascinating tournament. I, I thought that was really interesting. But obviously, we've mentioned a lot about Ukraine. And one of my favourite memories of Scotland is playing Ukraine. And obviously, that, that 3-1 game at Hamden. Uh, oh, yeah. A, were you there? And B, were you definitely in the Scotland then? <laughs> yeah, and yes, and both counts. My wife sat beside me. And I think it was about two weeks before she would talk to me again because of that result that night. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I've been following Scotland a long time and I've always maintained my time of following Scotland that's the best all-round performance I've seen us play yes I mean that was a team that got that was a Ukraine team that got to the quarterfinals of the World Cup they have Chevchenko in the team they had a lot they had, they had Voron in the, the team who was at Liverpool at the time I think yep yeah, uh, yeah he's got a funny thing with the national Jovkovsky team Jovkovsky was a goalkeeper he was quite good yeah. and then he went to uh, Tumashek who was at Bayern Munich that's right so, so a good good team and it was just one of those night those days where we didn't look like losing and I just thought all right we they pegged it back to one one but I just thought it's not what it's one of those games we're not gonna lose and it just seemed to be played for arrogance and a confidence that night that I've just not seen Scotland play with for a long time before and very few maybe only a handful of times since. Yeah it was an absolutely fantastic performance and I remember that so well. Kenny Miller scored very early on didn't he and then and then we yep. got a goal I think we scored twice inside the first 10 minutes didn't we? It was absolutely superb and I think, was, was it my father that got the second goal? A really great curling strike into the top corner. I remember it was the goal. Was it on McCulloch? McCulloch, Lee McCulloch, that's right. Lee McCulloch. I think, I think McFadden yeah. got the, the, the third. Yeah, the third goal, that's right. And I think, was it Shevchenko that got the, the Ukraine goal? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That was a that was a great performance. And then, of course, Scotland, a very tough group then, of course. It was over that Italy and France as well, you know. Well, that's, that was that's probably the hardest that. group Scotland could have got when you think uh, about that. I, was, I just remember the day watching the draw on my computer at college and just thinking, right, what are we going to get? And it's just your hands, going, your, your heart's just sinking as you you see all these teams come out, Italy, Ukraine, and then you've got France, and then you've got another trip to Lithuania, which is never a good place to go to. You've got the Faroe Islands, which is never a good place to go to. And you're just thinking, oh, right, fishing further for lucky, but it's most likely going to be fourth. Yeah. No, some some very interesting times that group, that was for sure. You mentioned obviously yeah. that you've been a Tartan Army fan for a, a long period of time there, Clark. What what's your best memories of following the Scotland national team? Oh so many. I mean, so many highs and lows. I mean, like I said, we always scoffed earlier on when it was going to games, you know, terrible games, but going for you've got you you always sit with a smile on your face thinking back to them. Like, I mean, I'm, I'm kinda of like that with votes as well. I mean, some of the not necessarily the best games, but some of the best trips I've ever been on were Back in the votes days, I remember when we played Moldova. This was just after I met my future wife. And I said, do you want to come to Moldova, meet my friends? Because there's going to be maybe, oh, in fact, there's going to be maybe 2,000 Scots in Moldova that day. So we'll go down the bus and we'll meet them. So we went we went down the bus from Liev, which is in western Ukraine. Mm-hmm. Got to the border, Moldova-Ukraine border, about three o'clock in the morning. The guy takes my passport I, I kind of just put my head back to fall asleep again five minutes later he comes on and says he calls my name out and I'm like oh what's happening here so I've got this border guard speaking to me in Ukrainian I don't speak a word of it so my wife's translating she's getting a kind of heated argument and I'm thinking what's going on here I mean am I in trouble then she kind of stops for a look of what on her face like she was she was just a blank look of what's, what have you said then she turns to me and says he wants one of your football shirts what do you mean? He thinks he doesn't believe any fans are going to this game, especially in fraught via Ukraine. He thinks you're one of the Scotland national team players coming from Dynamo Kiev to play for your national team in Moldova, and he wants one of your Dynamo Kiev shirts. Brilliant. And that took, and that took some explaining to this guard at three in the morning. That, no, it's not the case. I am literally a fan. I'm here to go to the game. Super. So I've always, always had a good one of that. And, uh, Number one, well, well, the reason I, while you're thinking of others, John Bleasdale, the, the guy that hopefully you know, and certainly I know, obviously, yep. in Scotland, he says, What's been your favorite away trip so far to what's gone? And apart from a finals, is top of your bucket list for future trips? If I, had to, I can't pick one, but I'll pick maybe my top three or four. But yeah, go on. There's that, there's that, there's that Moldova game, I always kind of like that. There was also the Slovenia game a few months, about a year later, when we won 3 0 in Selye. Sel- 
Yeah, that was a that was. I went with my friends here. We went. Via, that was a really good performance. So probably one of the yeah. more underrated performances away from home for Scotland. Yep, yep. Uh, you've also I've also got the Republic of Ireland game at Celtic Park, which, as I said earlier, I think since that Ukraine game at Hamden, I think that and the Croatia game where we won two 0 at Hamden, I think they are the two best performances I've seen in my lifetime yeah. from home. We've played with a confidence, a swagger that's been missing from Scotland. And probably also with the England game at Euro 96, I went down to that with my, my dad. And then probably my all-time one was the Brazil game at the Stade de France in uh, 1998 where I'll come in with my grandfather. And I think I, I'm kind of the age now where I wish I appreciated it more because I was just young at the time and thinking yeah. I was used to going to Scotland qualifying all the time. And I just thought, oh, there's always the next one. Mm-hmm. Not thinking the next one would be 25 years plus later, maybe. Yeah, but at that Brazil game, we're up in the heavens of the of the Stade de France and just watch the teams come out. And then you've got Ronaldo on the Brazil team, and he just seems to have an aura about them. Made him about ten feet taller than everybody else in the, in the national anthems. You could just see the Brazil team. You could see Ronaldo just aura about him. That was probably my favourite day of the, of them all. Yeah, I mean, absolutely fantastic. Were you there for the whole of ninety, or were you just there for that Brazil game? Yes, we just we just went for that game and back. We got managed to get tickets, the yeah. two of us. So we just we just flew in for that and flew back out the next day. I was only seven at the time, uh, but I still remember that opening game against uh, Brazil. And yeah. uh, you know, I remember crying my eyes out when uh, the ball went in off Tom Boyd for the late winner because um, I thought we deserved a draw. That thought, game, I thought we were superb. Yeah, I thought we played very well that day. I just thought. Yeah. It's just typical Scotland fashion where we don't lose to a piece of class from Ronaldo. I mean, if we'd lost 2-1, it would have been Ronaldo scoring a piece of class at the end, like his iconic goal for Bar- Inter Milan or that one he'd scored for Barcelona where he's yeah. ducking and ducking around everybody. If it had been something like that, I, wouldn't, I would have walked away that day happy, but yeah, to be an own goal bouncing off of Tom Boy, just a sickener. And we mentioned there about some of the memories. What about future trips moving forward? Any countries that is on your bucket list to go and watch the, the Tartan Army? Uh, very, there's actually very few these days. I've been about everywhere because I'm one of these guys where I'll travel to a game and I'll find the most obscure next door neighbour country to go via. So some people say, oh, I always want to go to Armenia. Oh, I'm a, I've ticked it off the bucket list when we played Georgia when via Armenia with a couple of mates and the four-hour bus journey from Yerevan up to Tbilisi. Uh, I missed the Kazakhstan game. I'd love to have done that one. I suppose that's still on my bucket list to go to oh, Kazakhstan. It'll be a better game than... <laughs> hopefully be a better game this next yeah. time around. Uh, I'd like to see us play in Africa. I mean, I've seen us play in Asia when we played Japan. I've seen us play across Europe. But I'd like, like to see us play in... Uh, Africa just some point in my lifetime. I think that'd be a good yeah. experience to go there. Yeah, absolutely. And and of course, following the Scotland national team, you've seen a range of players uh, put on that blue strip. Who's your favourite players? Oof. Growing up, it was while well, he was a Rangers player. I was always happy with McCoy. He was in the team because he was just he gave us like that game a game against Greece at Hamden where he just came off the bench and I was as if my scout group at that game and. I just remember the guy behind me saying, don't give it to McCoy's, don't give it to McCoy's. And there's a free kick in and I know it's already a corner kick in and McCoy's has got his header in and the guy <laughs> behind me changed his tune. I knew he'd score, I knew he'd score. Yeah. Uh, really, really. Always, been a, a Don's fan, it was always Jim Lane was the top man for me when it came to that type of thing. Just, yeah. I always preferred him being, the, being goals and I was happy when he got the nod at the World Cup in 98 because I think he deserved it after that Sweden game at Ibrox. Mm. Which I don't, which I think people talk about. But I just don't think it's enough credit because I don't think you see Andy Gorham playing that many good games for Scotland, and he puts a performance like that, and it's just kind of puts the back of people's minds a little bit. Yeah. Uh, Colin Hendry, he was another one. I met Colin Hendry at a fans event, and got a lot of good stories to hear from him about that period. Then you get past, then you get to the turn of the century. It just seems to be that there's not the same caliber of players, but you. Got some exciting players. I mean, you've got James McFadden, Dan Fletcher. James Morrison was always a player I liked to watch. I don't think he got anywhere near enough credit. The same with uh, Graham, uh, Graham Alexander. And he was another player who thought didn't get the credit he deserved. And another, another case of he had just gotten the team maybe 
four or five years earlier, we might have got a lot more of him than I think. Yeah. And Kenny Miller was always a player that I just enjoyed watching Scotland. I mean, he had that two-year barren spell where he got booed against Liechtenstein, but got a goal, and then it just seemed to be a nice period where he just seemed to score every game. Yeah. No, he was a brilliant player, Kenny Miller. Yeah. I, if I was to pick a player in my lifetime, I, I would probably put him just purely for his work rate. I thought, yeah. as that tallest man up front, he did so much donkey work up, up front, and I still don't think that... We look now, and you, you when he's not playing, you just think, yeah. who's that out ball now? I mean, you've got well, guys like Lyndon Dykes who I think have got potential, but do they have the same... Work rate that Miller has. I'm not too sure. When I watch when I when I watch Dykes, I just think that it is a bit Kenny Miller esque about him. It just yeah. not got that touch of flair. He's a bit Miller raw has. still. He's still a bit raw. Yeah. yeah. But uh, hopefully he'll get there. That's for sure. Um, in that's terms it. of in terms of the recent World Cup qualifying campaign, of course we've been drawn with Denmark, Austria, and a, a few other teams. I mean, should Scotland be looking to to qualify out that group? Uh, I think it's if you talk. About, Groups, I think that's the kindest possible group we could have wished for. I mean, you've avoided likes of Italy, France, Spain. I mean, as soon as you start drawing those teams, you're thinking to yourself, oh, fighting for second, third place at the best. I mean, we've got Israel again, which is not great. <laughs> Getting a bit boring out. I mean, it's reached the stage I'm pining for a trip for, to Lithuania after so many years of going there. It's now a case of <laughs> Lithuania. Please, Lithuania, come back, all's forgiven. <laughs> yeah. No, it's. I think it's a group where we could very easily finish fourth, or we could very easily win it. It's one of those. I yeah. don't think there's a clear now out when I mean. I don't think we'll go to Vienna and we'll go to Copenhagen and we'll come away with victories. But if we come away with a draw, it's like back. I think uh, Clark's trying to do the Craig Brown mentality. It's a yes. case of get them at home, and whatever you get away is a bonus point. Yeah. Well, you mentioned Steve Clark there, which brings me on to my next question. What have you made of Steve since he's come in? Because he, he really has done well after a very difficult start with the Scotland yeah. uh, I think he had a real I think he had really unlucky at the start. I mean, he came in at the eleventh hour after weeks of speculation and he really had to pick a team with before he even got his jacket off, he had to pick a team against Cyprus. He then had a horrible run of games where he had to play Belgium away, Russia at home, Belgium. Uh, home, Russia away. I mean, no matter who you are, that's a terrible run of games for your next winnable game. He then seemed to get through, he skimmed through them and they, were, they weren't good games at all. But then we got the, he got that fixture against San Marino and it just seemed to be, uh, he built off of that. He got a good away win in Cyprus. And then he just seemed to be, we were on the, we were all thinking about the, the playoffs. And I think, FF and the current COVID pandemic, that's played in our favour because if you think about it, we had a lot of players going into that Israel game for the playoff, either unfit or out of form. Yes. It just seems to be that extra five or six months has actually gave us a chance to get McGinn fit, uh, Tierney fit, because he had been out for the best part of a year or something like that. Yeah. And then you've got players back in form, so I think that played a big part in it. I mean, the first Israel game against in the Nations League, which was 1-1. I just think that was one of those games where I think he wasn't trying to give too much away, but he, I think he had both eyes firmly on the playoff game rather than that Nations League game. Yeah. And that's, I think it was a really poor game to watch. Yeah. I mean, some really interesting times uh, for Steve and obviously getting to the, the Euros is a, a phenomenal accomplishment. Do you worry for Scotland long-term if a club like, say, for example, Celtic or a, an English Premier League club comes in for Steve Clark? Uh, I th- as I said, I don't like comparing him to Craig Brown, but I think he's that style of manager where he's content with the job. I mean, he seems to be, I mean, most one of the most grounded guys I've ever you've ever seen to meet. I mean, I don't think he's going to get the Celtic job. I think that was just the case of the press and the bookies basically plucking the first Celtic man out of the air that they could think of who's been a doing mm. a job as well, but. When he was at Kilmarnock, he couldn't keep his disdain for the West of Scotland mentality. He didn't make any secret of that, how much he wanted. I think he's happy where he's got a Scotland job, he can live with his family in London, he's settled in London. I think he's happy with that. So I've got no fear of him going to a club in Scotland. Is the Scotland job going to make you a top pick for likes of Chelsea and Liverpool? 
he could win the World Cup, and I don't think it would be he would be in the radar. If we're going to lose to a club in England, it's going to be the likes of a Fulham or a, uh, a West Brom where he was at, of course. West Brom, exactly. Yeah. But I, I think he's a, he's been. I think that's what a lot of people forget. He's, he was with Mourinho for a long time, so he's won cups with Mourinho. He's while he wasn't the main man, he's been there. He's had success. He's tried his own thing at Reading and West Brom. He's been so so, but it's not been. Mm. He had a good spell at Kilmarnock, was probably even his best spell as a his own man, and now he's at the Scotland job. And I think he's content with that. So, Touchwood, I think he's here for the long run. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I certainly hope so as well, because he's been a breath of fresh air to, to the Scotland national team and really given us fans something to, to look forward to, in my honest opinion. Clark, one of the really interesting things in your story is that you are a member of uh, a really, really great car- uh, charity called the, the Tarn Army Sunshine Appeal. Can you tell my listeners what that's all about? It's basically when a registered charity that make a donation to help children in need everywhere the Scotland national team play. Uh our foundation was when Scotland played Bosnia and Sarajevo in 1999. A couple of Scotland fans got chanted this local translator guy, and he told them the plight of this boy who, during the civil war in Bosnia in the early 90s, his mother was ducking for shelter in Sniper, Sniper Alley in the centre of Sarajevo, and she'd got, she got shot, and he'd got shot through the leg and had to have his leg amputated. Mm-hmm. And the Scotland fans... At the other time, they heard this story and it just affected them such a way. They thought, right, we'll we'll get the money to try and get a prosthetic leg and get them better med- get her better medical care. So, over the next few years, they they, they all they all raised the money and they got eventually got enough money to buy him a prosthetic leg and to let them see the specialist doctor to help his health issues. Yeah. And after they'd done that, there was a case of right, there's some money left over. What should we do with it? And they said they all thought agreed, right? We'll donate it the next Scotland game, which was Lithuania in 2003. So they donated, I think it was £1,000 to this local orphanage, and they donated backpacks full of goodie bags, uh, toys, soft toys, books, uh, pencils, and paper. And just from that point on, it just seemed to be this could be a regular thing. So since that one, that first donation in 2003, we have made 80 consecutive donations right across Europe. Mm. Uh, that's donating to everywhere. Every, you name a Scotland game from the last 20 years, whether it's Peru, uh, friendlies in Peru and Mexico or over in Japan, if it's a qualifier mm. in the Faroe Islands or Iceland or Moldova, mm. regardless of whether it's been a game in Italy, France, London, we've made a donation to help children there. Yeah, uh, Completely self-funded. I mean, we rely completely on the fans and the money they bring in for us. We don't get a penny off the Scottish FA. We don't have any affiliation with the Scottish FA. We just have a nice arm's length relationship that we, we they, they stay out of our business and we continue with ours. And I came on board. I was actually very proud when I came on board. I got asked one night from their, the, their chairman, do I fancy coming on to help? And this was back in 2015. So I said, yeah, I'll come on and help see what I can do. So I'm one of these guys who give me a project and I'll literally move heaven and earth to try and improve it in some way or another. Yeah. And uh, I like to think I've done my bit. I've helped raise the profile. I mean, I'll, I'm one of these guys, if I see an avenue on that, I'll explore it. So one of the first things I did was I was just messing around in social media one night and I discovered Keith Gianni's brother actually followed me on Twitter. So I just sent him a message saying, Hi, yeah, can, would it be possible Akichi would be interested in a, a, shirt, a shirt to the Sunship people, which we could raffle off to raise funds? Mm-hmm. Didn't expect much. Got a reply about 20 minutes later saying, if Akichi doesn't donate one, I will make him donate one. So really proud of that. And I, it was true to his word. We got a Akichi Anya signed Scotland shirt. And actually, a good and a thing about that was a couple of weeks later, we were playing Malta and uh, his brother sent me a message saying, look, my mother's coming across to the game do you mind looking after for a couple of days? And I said, well, we'll take out our donations. She can meet us. And yeah, we'll keep an eye on her and that's fine. So his mother's, oh, she's some woman that she's, she's just full of life and she's one of these people that you just feel good being about her and stuff like that. And mm-hmm. took her to the donation. And at the time you were raising money by selling off bucket hats in the colours of the Scotland football shirt. Yeah. And we're just in the pub, just done our donation to this local charity and, 
I go, where's Mrs. Anya? I don't know, where is she? And we're like, who last saw her? And we're like, I think I saw her about an hour ago, but I haven't seen her since. And we're like, where is she? Then we noticed the bag full of hats that we were selling to disappear. And I'm thinking, where's the hat? Where's that bag of hats? And there were 50 hats in there. <laughs> ten, minutes, 10 minutes later, Mrs. Annie just storms through, places a bag, this bag that hats were on the table, full of Euro notes and all that, and saying, any more hats? I've sold them all. <laughs> so, we've had a key to Annie's mum's fundraising for us. Fantastic. Uh, after that, uh, my first donation, which I helped to, I mean, all, we're, got a steering group of nine people, ten people, and we all take turns. And my first one was the a friendly against Hungary in Budapest. So I reached out to the British Embassy in Budapest, and they put me in touch with a local uh, Burns Club, and they told us about the plight of this uh, orphanage for Romanian Gypsy children in the, a really, really poor part of Budapest, and saying, "Look, they really need money to help renovate this nursery." It's really sad there's the toys are broken they've got no paper and pencils to play to draw and keep themselves entertained is there just anything you can do I said well we'll have to make a donation so we had a donation the next thing we know we're getting messages saying right the mayor of Budapest is going to send uh, somebody along to go to this donation uh, the British ambassador is going to be there it's the Hungarian FA are going to send somebody there the Scottish FA are going to be there so me and my me and our chairman, we show up in the day and they've got TV cameras there and you've got everything, big spectacle. And we're getting shown around this little, tiny orphanage. I mean, it was just literally one room with makeshift beds on the side and all that. And the wallpaper looked like I hadn't been touched in maybe about 40 years. The windows were cracked. Just not a nice place for anybody to live and especially these children have been so, through so much. And we made the donation of five thousand pounds, and we're given it. We're we're, we're so grateful, and seeing the look in the children's faces was amazing. But the one thing that I always remember about that one was we were they they put on a little show for us, and you've got these kids, maybe six, seven years old. They've got feet work that we make Michael Flatley look blush because these people, <laughs> these kids were just so good. And I'm just sitting there, I'm just looking around, just getting in the atmosphere. I know it's across, you've got this big. Hungarian cameraman with his very camcorder over his shoulder. You know, the guy looked like he was a, he'd maybe won bronze in the shot putting at the 1982 Olympic Games for the Hungarian national team. I could just see him put the camera away from his face and he reached into his pocket and he pulled out a handkerchief. I could just see him dabbing away the tears from his eyes. It's like, like one of those things where you think that's when it's getting through to the locals. And then the next day, I was, I was actually doing a walking tour around the the Jewish ghetto in Budapest, the, the tour guide, for some reason, just kept looking at me and goes, I know you from somewhere. I was like, I don't know how, I've only been I've only been in Budapest a couple of days. And we're just walking around and we go to a bar and then she says, I know her, I know you from. And she ran off to the shop next door and came back a minute later and she had a newspaper and she opens it up and there was a big spread and big photograph of me and the Sunshine Appeal handing over this donation. She's just, she was just so grateful and she was telling us how much it meant to her that we had done this in our country. As the day went on, I, at night I had my flight home and I'm just sitting down in my seat in the aeroplane, put my headphones on just to chillax about in the flight home and I get, suddenly I get this tap on the shoulder and I take my earphones off and there's this girl and she just says to me, you the guy from the charity donated the money yesterday? And I was like, yes, it was oh, and just things like that. Really puts the perspective when you've got the locals just coming in force like that and just telling you what it means to them. Yeah, absolutely fantastic stuff there, Clark. I'm just uh, for my listeners, um, the Tarn Army uh, Sunshine Appeal, you can find it at tasunshineappeal.scot. Uh, examples of a range of activities can be included, such as sponsored walks, sponsored cycles, dinners, donations from match day swallows. Quiz nights, race nights, raffles, options, collections on buses or planes, etc. A real varied range, and it just seems to be growing, especially during the pandemic as well, which, you know, will have restricted some things, but I'm sure you'll be able to have do some other things as well. Well, that's, I mean, we had, before lockdown, we had so many plans. I mean, we, we had a Q&A night with Colin Henry in Glasgow, and that went in the storm. I mean, he had some great stories. And then we were planning one just before we went to lockdown with Kevin Gallagher, and we've been... Yeah. The case I've been going back and forth to Kevin because he's really desperate to do it and he just keeps just a case of we can't every time we think we get a day the pandemic resurfaces and it's a case all right we'll have to put it off for another to the other side of the summertime. 
but we're hopeful that one will go off. Uh, we've got a super fan who lives in Cyprus, Davy Proven. He's a St. Mirren fan who <coughs> lives over in Cyprus. He was in the army. Yeah. He just seems to be our guardian angel. I mean, he puts on, he, he takes his own time and puts on buses and he raises thousands of pounds for us. I mean, over the last year, because there's been no games, he's put on virtual buses. So he's run a team card and he's got raised us hundreds of pounds. Yeah. And while it's been a hard year for us, when we were looking at our accounts, we we're thinking, oh, in terms of income, it's actually been pretty healthy. Mm-hmm. And we just, it's just down to initiatives like that, the fans just given to us because they know it's hard for us just now. Yeah, it's just really frustrating with the whole pandemic. And I really hope yeah. you get involved with doing some great stuff uh, coming out of this well, because it's, it's uh, fantastic awful. to hear some of the stories that you mentioned, there, particularly the one in, in Hungary and Ekechi Anyesmon. That's something that will last away forever. That's a, a wonderful well, story. That. Well, that's fine. We made last year, I mean, last year there was no fans in any games. We just made the decision. While our constitution says everywhere Scotland plays, it makes no reference to the fans. So we just took up the option that we'll keep donating and that's helped us in a big way. I mean, we did a big one in Serbia and we sent a, a load of T-shirts that the SFA donated to us, the, the old sun, the old travel club polo shirts, red with a Scotland badge, and we got like 2,000 of these and mm. we were able to get about 60 of them across this small farm in Belgrade, which helps children with Down syndrome. Mm. Basically, they, they fund their own to fund everything through selling jams and they they do farm work just to produce crops. And we donated to them and it was a case of the British Embassy were telling us that they've donated a t-shirt to the president of Serbia. So it was all over social media. The president posted this photograph of this donation we had made. So that was quite interesting. Absolutely. But it's not just the Scotland thing. Uh, there's, we've, there's also a Welsh equivalent of the Sunshine Appeal. With they make, They do a lot of great work as well. Yeah, the Northern Ireland fans, we've just discovered that they do the same. Uh, there's a Ukrainian supporter who goes to all the Ukraine away games and everywhere he goes, he donates soft toys to a local orphanage. And when I was in Poland two years ago, I met this Polish football fan and we just got chatting in a bar. I just got on the topic of the Sunshine Appeal and we just got chatting away. And when I got up to leave at the end of the night, he just took me to the side and said, at your Stuff was so inspirational. I'm going to set. I'm going to try my best to set up a Polish version of the Sunshine Appeal, so we can get back as well. So it's a good thing that it just shows that fans can give back and what the power of football can do. Yeah, definitely. I'll just say that again for everybody that's listening. That you can find the the Tarn Army Sunshine Appeal at Tassa T A S A 1999 uh, on Twitter, and you can look up uh, the Tarn Army Sunshine Appeal at T A Sunshine Appeal Scott. Uh, really interesting stuff there, Clark. Absolutely fantastic to hear some of your stories with that. You do a little bit of football writing as well, which I, I find really interesting. And, you know, you, you've done a little bit of work for the Football Pink. Um, not, not one I know of, but I've heard of these footy times, which you also do as well. Is that something that you've had an interest in from an early age? Or is that something uh, that you just like to dibble away at from time to time? Just just a wee, something to dabble away at a wee be hobby now and again. It wasn't really if I ever took seriously. I, mean, I was I saw the football pink. It's a fans run football magazine. It's a small small time, but they said they put an, they were doing a copy in the Scottish football. And I just joined the Sunshine Appeal at the time, and I just thought that could be a good way again the advertisement the Scottish for the Scottish fans and the Sunshine Appeal. So I, I emailed and said, "Look, if I produce a article, would you be willing to publish it?" And this is what it's going to be about: the Scotland supporters mm-hmm. charity. And they were really encouraging and. They gave me a two-page spread in that. Uh, I've got something in the fo- these football times. I was talking about the Scottish links with Ukrainian football. I mean, yes, it's not it's not something you'd think was big, but there is actually a pretty big mm-hmm. background there. And it was just it was a little something I'd been researching and dabbling away with, and I didn't really think it was ever going to count to anything. And then when I got it finished, I mean, I think it's about eight thousand words, so it is pretty big. Yeah, I just sent it around all the football ma- magazines and online articles, and not many were really prepared to publish it. Then these football times said, "Oh, we do a lot in Eastern European football. We'd be very happy to publish." So I was quite proud when that got there. Yeah, it's your pinned tweet on Twitter, which I think is really yeah. good. You know, it's called an unlikely marriage uh, between Scottish and uh, Ukrainian 
uh, football, the uh, Ukrainian influence on Scottish football. I had a read of this before we came on, and it's a fascinating read. I mean, my, my dad is a, you know, a bit of a Rangers fan, and he remembers Kuznetsov. <laughs> and, of course, Ali McCoy talks about him very well because, uh, yeah. you know, I think he scored in a game against Celtic, and I think uh, the Sati Singh and uh, his partner at the, the Curry House in Glasgow, they were going to name their child after whoever scored the first goal in a Rangers-Celtic game, and it was this guy Kuznetsov that got Interesting. Very interesting. But. I, was, I was quite good and I was able to get in touch with Sergei Baltach. I mean, he's now a coach at Charlton Athletic. Yeah. Uh, we had a few conversations over by telephone. He was really good. I mean, mm. he spoke with Stuart Cosgrove off of Off the Ball. We spoke about his time at, uh, at St. Johnston and he was telling me how his uncle is actually Ukrainian or I, yeah. I don't know if it was uncle in the sense of just friend of the family, but he was telling me he worked as spell Thatcher's translator when him and his family just showed up in Perth one day to sign for the club. Yeah. And then telling me his time at Inverness, which wasn't long, but he was just talking about it. was quite an interesting guy to speak to. And I was really home to meet when I went down to London once, but just seems to be he's always busy. Yeah. Stuart Cosgrove's a, a real character, isn't he? And I, yeah. I, I don't know about you, but I love off the ball and him and, him and Tom Kevin are fantastic, aren't they? Have you been invited on to talk about your stories? I think no, nothing like that, no. Yeah, I've had friends that have been on the show and they said it's hard to get a word in, but... Well, I've had Cowan on my own show and I can definitely vouch for that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He's I a good character, though, to be fair, Tom. He's good. Oh, yeah, it's brilliant listening to it, too. I mean, they're just fans on the radio and they just say what the fans are thinking and it's, they don't take it seriously in any way and I think that's fantastic. I mean, you don't get shows like that anywhere. No. no. And that, absolutely. No, it's just essential listening on us. I mean, my wife hates it. I mean, she doesn't actually understand that it's two shows to do a show in the afternoon and they do a show after the game. Yeah. So she's hearing the show when we go when we're going out in the car. She'll hear me. I'm listening to the show in the after at lunchtime, and then yeah. we go out and then we get back in the car and I'm turning it back on for the evening show. And she's like, "Are they still talking?" <laughs> no, there's a break in between. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's now moved to a Sunday slot now, but yeah, Aye. absolutely. Yeah, it, it's very interesting to hear that. Cork, we're coming to the end of the podcast. I've thoroughly enjoyed listening and, and hearing some of your stories. Coming out of the pandemic for you, as a Scottish fan, as you know, a fan of Aberdeen, as a fan of a range of clubs, what's your incentives coming out of this? It's probably my incentive is just really to get back to football. I mean, I'm just choked to get back to a game at Hamden. Missing my wee day, match day rituals, I mean, going for a pint in this pub, having a Liver with this friend who shows up from who's got a train up from England for the day, or friend from Dundee's came down, just that type of thing. Walking along Battlefield Road, and you, know, you, you, you go over the hill, and there's Hamden waiting for you. Yeah, then again, it's just that's just really all I just want to get to a game of football and just get back to my little match day activities. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, I certainly hope that comes uh, sooner rather than later for you, Clark. And I hope my listeners cool. have really enjoyed uh, our conversation because I certainly did. Clark Gillis, thanks for coming on Campbell's Wheels to share your story with me. Thanks for having me. Well, listener, that brings us to the end of yet another episode of Campbell's Footballs. I hope this podcast was just what the doctor ordered. If you want to listen to previous shows or look out for future shows, follow Campbell's Footballs on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen to other podcasts. You can also follow the show on Facebook at Campbell's Footballs. Search for me, StatoG91, on Instagram or other social media channels. But until then, until next time, I hope you enjoyed the crack and enjoy Campbell's Footballs. What a dangerous night!